Good morning. Um, as Pastor Justin said, my name is Richard Roden, and it's an honor and a privilege to come before you to bring the word today. And uh, if you're a visitor, I'm sorry, Cody, I'll be back next week. <laughs> um, if you made it to your place in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 15 and 16, and we'll, uh, we'll get started. Verse 15 says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank you for his word this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for your word. Father, as to that, that we are going to attempt to dive into this morning, and I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive it, that, Father, that you will help me to uh, deliver it with clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Father, please guard my lips from error, and, Father, may we be sanctified and edified, having sat under your truth this morning. And it's in the precious name of Christ I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Time. Time's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's comparable to the wind. See, wind is invisible, but the evidence of the wind is unmistakable and undeniable. So we can hear the wind as it blows from here to there. We can even see the effects of the wind as it blows to the trees and the trees begin to sway in the breeze. We can even feel the wind upon our skin, whether it's a bitter, biting cold that we don't get to experience much here in Florida, or if it's a hot, stifling wind on one of our 100-degree humid days, though unseen, the existence of the wind is undeniable. Well, so it goes with time. We can see its effects upon everything. Whether it's an old car that was parked years ago only to be forgotten and reduced to a brittle shell that's now useless, or, as you can see on my face, the marks of the time and the gray that's in my facial hair, and if I'd let my hair grow out a little bit further before this, it would be like a gray halo on my head. And not only can we see the effects of time, but time can be felt as well. See, I turned 43 this year, and my knees are testifying to the fact that those 43 years have made their indelible mark. As a little Debbie man, I have to kneel down and stand up at my racks often, and getting up's a lot harder than it used to be. And sometimes, even if I sneeze improperly, that muscle right in the middle of my back will pull. That's like the worst one. And I don't know if you're like me, but I can go to sleep uninjured but wake up injured. That's where I'm at in life. So, yes, time most certainly can be felt. And I know it sounds like I'm personifying time, and to a degree I am, but I want, you to, I want to be clear. Time is a created construct. God has created time, as well as us, and he's placed us within its framework. Time doesn't feel, though we feel it. Time doesn't have any power in and of itself, but we see its effects. Time may be neutral, but it isn't inconsequential. God has placed us within the framework of time, and our entire lives are governed by it. For example, we set our alarms at night so we can get, on time, get up on time so we can be to work on time, or this morning be to Sunday school or church on time, except for Brad, who's always late. Anyway... <laughs> We watch the clock at work looking forward to quitting time. 
If we make plans to go to the movies, we ask, what time does the movie start? How long does it last? When does it end? Or whenever me and my wife had the good fortune to find a willing babysitter, the question that the sitter wants to know is, when are you dropping them off? And more importantly, when are you picking them up? So I think there's something that is lost. See, I think there's something that is lost as we go about our lives from one appointment to the next. And I think we lose sight of the fact that time never stops. It marches on and it does, does so with no regard to anyone or anything. It waits for no one and is constantly consuming every second of every day. See, the poet Delmore Schwartz in his poem, Calmly We Walk Through This April's Day, he concluded his poem with the line, Time is the fire in which we burn. So think for a moment with me on that. What does fire do? It consumes. My neighbor years ago had the remnant of a giant oak tree uh, in his yard. And it was the giant stump that was left from dropping the tree. It was about three feet high, and it had the circumference to match. So it was a large tree. So what he did is he drilled holes in the top of it, and he poured old diesel fuel in the holes, and he let it sit overnight. For, then the next day, he lit it. And for close to a week, the fire slowly ate away at the stump until it was reduced to mere ash on the ground. That's the imagery that Swartz is conveying in the statement, time is the fire in which we burn. Time is the fire with every passing second, a little ember of our lives burns away, never to be experienced again. So I'm reminded of James 4.14, it says, you are but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Or Ecclesiastes 3, what it says regarding time where we read this, there is an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up is lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, and a time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, unless you actually turn to Ecclesiastes, you're unaware that I skipped verse 2, but I did that on purpose because verse 2 speaks directly to what we'll be discussing today. Verse 2 reads, a time to give birth and a time to die. So when we are young, we think we have all the time in the world. Then when we reach my stage of life, somewhere in the middle, we begin to sense the regret of time wasted, knowing that the time left behind us, or the time, time left ahead of us, may be less than what's behind us. And I'm sure for the more seasoned members of our congregation here today, they would testify to having some feelings of regret over time they wish they could get back. See, it's to that time frame, the span of our lives, that I want to give our attention to today as we look at Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, and we discuss the priority to make the most of our allotted time granted to us by God on this earth. In your bulletin, you'll see where the big idea is, and it's this. Whether we're in the beginning, middle, or toward the end, it's never too late to begin to prioritize our time more purposely in the regards to our Lord. So that's what I want to look at today is taking this span of our life and prioritizing it toward Christ. Now, of course, since I'm starting in Ephesians 5, before we jump into the text, we have to take some time to handle the business of context. And yes, I know Brad preached a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago on Ephesians, and he went through the context, but guess what? We're going to do it again. 
But what we need for our purposes today is a general outline of the book, but not a deep dive into its history. So to begin, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to a church in Ephesus in Asia Minor. And Paul wrote this book as an encouragement and an admonition. See, in the first three three chapters, Paul gives his audience an understanding of who they are. And in the last three chapters, he gives instruction to how they should behave in light of who they are. So in other words, this is what God has done for you. Therefore, act like it. Your conduct should reflect your reality. So what's their reality? Who are they? Well, Paul says this in chapter 1, and this is just my summary of chapter 1. It says, they are saints, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, chosen in Christ, adopted as sons, redeemed through his blood, recipients of his grace, and sealed with the Holy Spirit in Christ. If that wasn't enough, then Paul goes on in chapter 2 to tell them exactly who they once were and how they came to be in their current condition in Christ. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 2 by saying, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we, all too, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So Paul right there lays it out for them and us. You were once in desperate condition. We were all dead in our sin. We lived only for ourselves and our own fleshly lusts and desires. We were children of wrath. We were of our father, the devil. Fortunately, Paul doesn't stop there. Because now he's going to tell them and us how we became who we are in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 and following reads this, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. So, we were dead in sin, walking in darkness. No hope at all. But then Paul tells us, upon hearing the gospel of our salvation, God makes us alive together with him in Christ Jesus. So what we see here is the concept of regeneration and faith. God resurrects our dead spirits so that we can respond to the gospel in faith. And it is all a work of God. And Paul is showing us here what God has done on our behalf through the redemptive work of Christ. You were once in darkness. Now you were in the light. You were lost, but now you were found. You were a child of wrath, but now, praise God, you are a child of the King. Praise God for the glorious grace that he has lavished on us in Christ. We are now part of the covenant people of God, brought into covenant with God through the redemptive work of Christ. This is who we are. This is what God has done for us. So again, who are we? Saints. Adopted sons and daughters of God and recipients of his grace and mercy, redeemed through the blood of Christ. And who were we? Children of wrath, deserving of hell, 
and servants of Satan. And what has God done for us? He has made us alive together with Christ Jesus, saving us from his wrath for sin, granting us faith in Christ by the Spirit's power, enabling us to live for him. So is it any any wonder then that Paul turns his attention to chapter 4 to our conduct? Who we are in Christ should be reflected by how we walk in the world. We see that Paul makes heavy emphasis on conduct in the final three chapters by his use of the word walk through chapters 4 and 5. But not only in Ephesians, throughout Scripture, when we see the word walk being used, it's most often referring to conduct or behavior. For example, in 1 John 2, 6, it says this, The one who says he abides in him, that is Christ, ought himself to walk or conduct himself in the same manner as he walked or conducted himself. So if you say that you're in Christ Jesus, you should conduct yourself accordingly. Galatians 5.16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. In Romans 6.4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We may be able to conduct ourselves in Christ Jesus through the power of the Spirit. So in the same manner, Paul uses walk in chapter 4 and 5 of Ephesians. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called. Now think about that. He starts chapter 4 by saying walk in a manner worthy, manner worthy of the calling. What did you just get done explaining? This is who you are and this is how God has called you to be, to be in Christ Jesus. So walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Ephesians 4.17, he says, So this, uh, this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. There's something different about you. Conduct yourselves accordingly. Ephesians 5.1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. So to be an imitator of God, you're to conduct yourself as Christ conducted himself in love. Ephesians 5.8, therefore you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Again, that comparison. This is who you were, but now this is who you are. Conduct yourself accordingly. Then our text today, Ephesians 5.15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So it's very clear that our conduct, how we walk in the world matters. We're to demonstrate who we are by what we do. To conduct ourselves according to our calling. And one of the ways we do that is how we conduct ourselves concerning the stewardship of our time. That brings us to our text today, which is, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So what I'd like to do is to look at three ways we can be good stewards of our time according to our verses this morning. And yes, there are four in your outline. You get a bonus later. So to begin with our first way to be careful, be stewards of our time, we are to do so carefully. Therefore, be careful how you walk. So the Greek word for careful used here is akrobos or akrobos. That's my West Nassau education trying to do Greek. But it means to do something diligently and accurately. In order to do something carefully requires that you pay close attention to what you are doing, to be detailed, 
to give your undivided attention to the process. See, walking carefully in the Lord is no different. It requires a purposeful focus. This requires work on your part in the day-to-day events of your life. Every moment of every day gives us two opportunities. We can glorify God, or we can fall into sin. How we walk in the workplace, in our homes, in our recreation, in our church affords us those two opportunities. See, everywhere we go, we are to take every thought captive, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 instructs us. Or as 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, whether we eat or drink, we are to do everything to the glory of God. This requires a purposeful focus every moment of every day. So there's a reason that James tells us in James 1.19 to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Those situations where knee-jerk reactions to circumstances in our lives often lead us to sinful behaviors. Those behaviors then require repentance to God and those we sinned against, as well as the hard work of reconciliation with those we hurt. Careful effort to walk wisely prevents such things as being purposeful in what you do. See, careful effort should also be given to what we give our time to as well. How we prioritize our time should be done carefully. I think that's where many of us go wrong. Most of us, at least it's true for me in most cases, if this isn't you, praise God, but most of us are just trying to survive the day. We get up, we go to work, we come home, we make dinner, we get the family fed, we get the kids to bed, try to find some time to unwind, only to go to bed late and then do it all over again the next day in a continual cycle. Well, brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way, though. God hasn't called us to just survive the day. He's calling us to make the most of our time and to do so carefully by prioritizing the time that he has given us. And this will require some work on our part. We're going to have to take the time to prioritize our time. You have to make a plan for your day. What do you mean by that, Will? Ask yourself the question of what time am I going to get up? When am I going to pray? When can I set aside time for the Lord? When can I set aside time for my wife? Ladies, when can you set aside time for your husband? When can you together set aside time for your children? What will I have to sacrifice to make time for these things? Television? Facebook? Maybe a hobby you like to do. I'm pointing that one at me. Now, everyone's life is different, I realize that, and no one plan works for everyone. What would work for me wouldn't work for you. But there is a plan that will work in every situation. It's our job to figure out what is best for us and our family. And once we prioritize our time, we need to pay careful attention to make it a perpetual habit. To create a habit of prioritizing our times toward the things of the Lord and his kingdom. You realize it only takes seven days to create a habit. About 40 years ago, I created the habit of chewing my fingernails. I hadn't got rid of it yet. What I'm asking you to do is, if you don't have a habit of prioritizing your time toward the things of God, put together a plan and put it in action for seven days and see if you can't create a holy habit unto the Lord. See, the point is, we should give careful thought and consideration of how we use our time. Remember, our aim is to make the most of the time, according to the text. Time is part of the equation. Good stewardship of time means walking wisely, 
maintaining a purposeful focus, and prioritizing our time as well as our conduct towards God, and to do so in a careful and perpetual manner. So we should ask ourselves this question. Do I manage my time wisely in accordance with God's will? And if not, what am I willing to sacrifice and change in order to do so? Am I purposeful with my time? Am I prioritizing my time? Am I making a perpetual habit with my time? So that's number one, to do so carefully. And number two, we're going to look at the other way to be a good steward of our time is to walk in wisdom. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise. See, when we were dead in our sins, living according to the prince of the power of the air from Ephesians 2, were we living wisely? Were we conducting ourselves according to the will and commands of God? Well, the answer is no. Matter of fact, we hated him. I hated him. We were his enemies. But now that we are no longer an enemy, but a son and daughter of God, we are now commanded through the power of the Spirit of God to walk in wisdom. To walk in wisdom is no longer walk as you used to walk. To walk in wisdom is to conduct yourselves according to the will of God. To obey his commands, to know his word, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To be filled with the Spirit and to walk according to the Spirit. See, one thing that I learned a long time ago is wisdom is knowledge applied. So when you study the word and you gain the knowledge and understanding of the word, you then apply that word. That is wisdom, to apply what you know. You can have all the head knowledge in the world, but if you're not applying any of it, it means nothing. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And the way we walk in wisdom is to know the word of Christ. To walk in wisdom is to walk according to the will of God revealed in Scripture. To conduct ourselves according to his commands. To love him with all our heart and soul and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. To follow his precepts, his commands, to live for Christ, giving our lives as a living sacrifice to him. To give of our time to him, to prioritize our time towards the purposes of Christ and not to ourselves. To be a living sacrifice. I may have mentioned this in Sunday school class or somewhere else before, so you may have heard it, but... My uh, late sister-in-law, Dawn Roden, she used to say, in order to be a living, the problem with a living sacrifice is they keep crawling off the altar. (laughs) I think that's part of our problem. We're to be living sacrifices, but we have a tendency to not want to stay on the altar. See, just a few verses before in our text, in chapter 5, Paul speaks about what it looks like to walk unwisely. Starting in verse 6 of chapter 5, he says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is even disgraceful to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. See, Paul makes it very clear that the sons of disobedience are still walking in darkness and their deeds are evil. If we are in the light, we should not walk this way. As a matter of fact, unfruitful deeds of darkness should be exposed and we should avoid them. So when Paul says walk wisely, he says that we should forsake our former way of life and to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of our calling. As Proverbs 26.11 points out, to return to our old way of life is tantamount to a dog returning to its vomit. 
In the eyes of God, his children participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness is vile to him. It is important that we walk in wisdom. And that's why walking in wisdom is a protection for us. Understand that. To walk wisely is to protect us. When we purposely focus ourselves towards prioritizing our time in a perpetual manner towards God, we will not have time for unfruitful deeds of darkness. Think about that for a second. If we actually were prioritizing all our time toward the purposes of Christ, would you have time for anything else? There's plenty to be done. There's plenty to do. We can only walk wisely when we follow the command given in Colossians 3.16, and as I've said before, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And we can only accomplish that if we devote the time necessary to daily feast upon his word. There's a reason that Paul concludes the book of Ephesians by exhorting his readers to put on the armor of God and to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It is our only defense and weapon against the evils of this world. And remember, as our text says, we are to make the most of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. To combat the evil of this world, we must take the time to arm ourselves against it in order to wisely conduct ourselves within it. I mentioned the sermon that Brad preached a few weeks ago, and I think the title is spot on, Born on the Battlefield was the title. It's appropriate that it's called that because when we wake up every morning, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we are on a spiritual battlefield. If you're going to fight against, fight the battle as you are supposed to fight it, you have to arm yourselves with the armor of God and the sword of the Spirit. And to use the analogy of time, and also use the analogy of putting on armor, well, before they went to battle, they had to take the time to put the armor on. They had to take the time to sheathe the sword before they went out to battle. Well, we need to take the time to armor ourselves before we step onto the battlefield that we're in the midst of every day. So, I feel like I'm moving pretty quick in... Someone, they will remain nameless, told me to speak slower today, and hopefully I'm doing that. <laughs> but we are already on number three. But we'll move on to the third way that we can be good stewards of our time, and that is to have a sense of urgency. Have a sense of urgency. See, in our text, Paul tells us to make the best use of the time. Again, that's verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. That word time in the Greek is keros, and it denotes a fixed amount of time similar to that of a season. So seasons are fixed in time. Summer begins, summer ends. Then you have fall, you have winter, you have spring. Summer again comes back around as a continual cycle. Except in Florida where you have summer, hotter summer, hell, and then maybe a week of winter. But the point is A season is fixed in time. That's what keros, that Greek word there, is talking about. So when Paul tells us to make uh, make the best use of the time here, he's referring to the time given to us in in the span of our life. Remember in the introduction I quoted Ecclesiastes, there's a time to be born and a time to die. It is within that framework of time, that span of our lives, that he's telling us to make the most of. And so we we should do this with a sense of urgency. Well, why with a sense of urgency? Because though we may know our beginning, we do not know our end. But make no mistake, it is coming. Hebrews 9.27 tells us 
that is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. The day of our death is already fixed on the calendar. There is no avoiding it. As my brother, Pastor Keith Foskey, likes to say, no one escapes the box. Death is certain, and our death day is just as certain as our birthday. We could die tomorrow. We could die next week. We could die years from now. No one knows the day that God will require your life from you, which is all the more reason to have a sense of urgency when it comes to making the most of the time that you've been given. So this leads me back to the quote I gave you from the poem by Delmore Schwartz. Time is the fire in which we burn. Every moment of every day, another ember of the time that God has given you melts away. Every second, you move one step closer to the end of your life. Now, on one hand, that shouldn't bother you, especially if you're in Christ. Eternity with God awaits you. As Charles Spurgeon once said, the sweetest moment in a a Christian's life is his last one because it's the one nearest to heaven. And that's absolutely true. However, if you're wasting time because, if you think time doesn't matter because you're a Christian and so what, and you have no sense of urgency, that's a problem. Because 1 Peter 1, 17-19 says this and should give you pause to change that way of thinking that our time on earth, we shouldn't have a sense of urgency with it. 1 Peter 1, 17-19 says this. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited by your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. See, how you conduct yourself in this life matters, and God the Father will judge your work. And one of the elements he will judge is how you managed your time. In 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, it says this, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so as through fire. See, the old adage comes to mind, only one life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. So my question for you is this. How does your time management look? What do you do with your time? And to be clear, I'm not talking about time given toward work or other thing that God gives clear and direct instruction on. Scripture is clear. For example, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So we have to work. There's time we have to dedicate to certain things. There's no way around that. But don't fall into the ditch of thinking that the time you spend doing what God commanded in regards to provision for your family gives you an excuse to neglect your spiritual duties of leadership. I'm talking to the men. You can't come home, hit the recliner, and check out. Once your job in the corporate world is done, your spiritual work at home is just beginning. And I'm not going to leave the ladies out. The same goes for you as well. In regards to your spiritual duties at home as a wife and a mother, or if if you're single here, a man and woman that's single here, there's things you could be doing. There are spiritual disciplines you could be putting to practice. But I see, I'm not talking about the things that we're required to do, like work and those kinds of things. That's just an aside. I want to get back to the, 
um, the time I'm asking you to consider. And that time I'm asking you to consider is I'm talking about your downtime. So I'm not talking about your work and all that. I'm talking about your downtime, your home life, your recreational time. And I'm not going to keep going down a list of examples because we're all adults in here. You know if your time is dishonoring to the Lord. You know what you do with your time. You know if your time management is being used wisely or not. How do you use your time? Are you using your time to build upon the foundation of Christ? Or are you using your time to build up earthly treasures that will rust and disappear? See, we should have a sense of urgency to use our time to the glory of God because, as the text says, the days are evil. Now, when Paul wrote this, the Ephesians were facing persecution. So the church never knew when the next round was coming. So, <clears throat> nor if their lives will be required of them for simply exercising their faith. So, in a sense, the urgency of the matter was much greater for the early church. We're not facing persecution here in the States yet. I'll throw that on there. But there is still great evil all present all around us. And you don't have to look very far to see it. Open up that Facebook we talked about a minute ago. You'll see it all over the place. That's why there should be a sense of urgency about how we manage our time. Our time to affect the world around us with the gospel is fleeting. Remember, time is a fire in which we burn. Our opportunity to do everything we can for the sake of Christ is fleeting. Every day we aren't about our Father's business is a day lost. So again, are you carefully and wisely managing your time? Because for the sake of Christ, it's imperative that we do. Now, the last several minutes have been heavy, especially if you're feeling, if you're feeling conviction over this. Because as I prepared this, I've been dealing with conviction over my misuse of time. I want you all to understand, when me or Brad or Cody or Justin or anybody else stands here and preaches to you, do please understand that we're pretty much talking to ourselves. Because we've been dealing with this in our own lives as we dealt with it. This is not me pointing fingers except this way. But if you're feeling conviction over this, as I have been, you may be thinking it's too late for me. I've wasted too much time. Maybe your children are grown. Maybe you failed to witness effectively. Maybe you allowed the lure of the world to draw your time away from Christ and you squandered the time that God's given you. Well, there is good news. It ain't all negative this morning. And the good news is right here in the text. If you're sitting here today feeling the pangs of conviction over not using the time God has given you wisely, I want to give you a sliver of hope. That's more than a sliver. There's one way you can be a good steward of your time, and that is to redeem it. We can redeem it. When we read, make the best use of your time, other translations translate that as redeeming the time. So in the Greek, the idea being conveyed is literally to buy back the opportunity. This doesn't mean that you can buy extra time in your life to correct your past sin. That's not what it's saying. However, the idea is that you can redeem the time you lost and how you operate in the future. So let's look at it this way. When God saved you, he redeemed you. Everything before your redemption was washed away. He took your sin, your former way of life, he removed it from you as far as the east is from the west. It's no longer held against you. Christ paid for it. You are now in Christ Jesus. So it goes redeeming the time. We can go to the Lord and repent of our misuse of the time, confessing to God 
the sin of poor stewardship and going forward begin to make the best use of the remaining time. Begin to carefully and wisely use your time for the glory of God and for the furthering of his kingdom. And it's never too late to do this. As long as there is breath in your lungs, you can redeem the time you lost. You can begin to walk in wisdom, taking great care to live in a manner worthy of your calling when it comes to the stewardship of your time. If God is convicting you over this today, that is a grace from God. You do see that. If you're feeling conviction, that is grace from God. He is helping conform you more to the image of Christ. That is part of sanctification. Oftentimes we feel conviction, we want to run for it. No, embrace it because God is doing something for you. You have the opportunity now to repent and to change. So make the change. Repent and redeem the time. And for the younger folks in the crowd today, and there's a few, Today's message may have caused you to understand that maybe you don't have as much time as you thought. You now understand that life is short and uncertain. And it is. You don't know. You know when you were born, but you don't know when you're going to die. And please understand this. You're young right now. You know, I was 15, 16, 17, high school drug. (laughs) Took forever to graduate. But it's been 25 years since I graduated high school, and it went by like that. You don't have as much time as you think you do. But if you're young and you're realizing that just from this message, praise God if that's the case. Because you, more than anyone here, young folks, have the greatest opportunity to begin to make a lifelong habit by instituting a purposeful focus, giving priority over how you manage your time for the Lord, and making it a perpetual habit. You've got more time than anyone, perhaps. And for those like me who are in the middle of life, the same goes for us as well. Don't dwell on the past. Redeem it. Because what's done is done. But remember that everything that happens in your life, God can use for your good and for his glory, even the sin of the misuse of your time. Trust the words of John in John, 1 John 1, 9, where he says, If we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins. If you're feeling convicted over not making the most of your time, do not quench the spirit here. Use it as an avenue for growth. Repent, make the necessary changes and grow in your sanctification and make the most going forward. And the same goes for those more seasoned saints in the crowd. Those of us who don't have as much time ahead as they do behind. As I said before, if there's still breath in your lungs, you can still make an impact for God. Do not let the regrets of the past hinder you from impacting the future for Christ. The time the Lord has left for you, you can still use it for his glory. And through the power of the Spirit of God, God will help you to do so. And finally, to those of you here today who know that you are not a believer in Christ Jesus, you're sitting here knowing that you are outside of Christ. I want you to understand something. And I want you to know that I'm telling you you this because I love you and your eternal soul is at stake. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it very clear that you are a child of wrath, that you are of your father, the devil, that you are operating according to your own fleshly lusts and desires, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, God the Father has done something for you. He has given Christ Jesus in your place. Jesus Christ came and lived the life you couldn't in perfect obedience to God the Father, took upon himself on the cross the full wrath of God, 
the wrath that you deserve to spend eternity in hell suffering under due to your sin, Christ has suffered in your place. And all that is required of you is repent of your sins and turn to Christ in faith, placing your faith in his finished work of redemption. So if you're here and you don't know Christ, but you're being convicted over your sin today, you too can redeem the time. You too can buy back the opportunity. Because whatever time that you've wasted in your life, living for yourself and rejecting God, can be redeemed. And he has redeemed it on the cross. Those years can be washed away, your sins forgiven, and you can be saved from the wrath of God to come. So I'm imploring you, if you are without Christ, redeem the time, because today is the day of salvation. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that even times where we do a topical message like this, where we just pull a principle from the text, that we can still glean much from it, knowing that your word does not return to you void. So, Father, help us to redeem the time. Help us to go forward, going forward to make the most of our time as it applies to our family, our friends, our work, our recreation, whatever it is that we do. Help us, Father, to glorify you in all that we do with an eye that's purposeful, with a purposeful eye toward your kingdom and your righteousness. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come and to preach your word, and I pray that you will apply it to our hearts and our minds, and, Father, that we will go forward glorifying you in all that we say and do. Again, I thank you for this time. It's in the precious name of Christ we ask. Amen.